Welcome to the Libertarian Tex-Mex Podcast with your host, Cesar Aguirre. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Libertarian Tex-Mex Podcast. I'm Cesar Aguirre. Um... You know, been doing a little bit of cleanup and checking on the on the uh, the podcast page, the Libertarian Tex Mex on Podbean, and uh, I see some people are downloading uh, our podcast. I want to thank you guys. I want to thank you guys and gals very much for listening to the podcast. This is something I truly enjoy, um, and I hope to be doing it as long as I can. It's really fun. Um, I like, obviously, I have, you know, special things to talk about myself, but also I like taking on people. Uh, right now, you know, Rob uh, Calvillo has been such a great friend uh, to come on the come on the podcast, you know, uh, have a discussion. Um, at some point, I want to open it up to some other people and um, and get some different opinions, um, get some things going on. I know the you know the original concept was about food and politics, and I still want to do that. Um, I think food is probably one of the, the those genres of topics that really kind of pull together libertarian concepts together, right? It's, um, you know, it's essentially libertarian belief in the free market and allowing people willingly, voluntarily to, you know, intermingle with their ideas and with their uh, cultures and their thoughts and being able to come out with something new and that is definitely something you would never get in a state controlled environment or regulated environment uh, for the most part you get pretty homogenous pretty uh, segregated I would say um, type of uh, engagements with with people of different backgrounds right you don't really get that um, natural, organic um, intermingling that you would get otherwise. So I think libertarian libertarianism, libertarian ideals, libertarian principles, um, it's a great place to be because um, it's a place that is kind of um, laissez-faire, right? It is letting it be, letting people decide where they want to go. Um, very individualistic, allows flexibility to do or do not the things you want to do so if you want to live a uh, you know a sheltered conservative lifestyle you can right or if you want to live a very progressive and forward you know evolving lifestyle you can as well i think the difference is that we as libertarians and people who believe in libertarian principles um is that we understand that everybody has the right to decide how they want to live you know and I think I think the middle piece is as long as we can agree that we should be able to live how we want to live as long as we're not hurting others, um, then we should be able to kind of agree to disagree, right? Um, even if we don't like other people's opinions. But I think at the end of the day, it's always about volunteerism, right? The ability to let people have the flexibility to decide on their own without forcing them to do something, right? Or, or as as much as we can. I know 
absolutely there's that gray area in libertarian circles of when and how much is the government involved. I know most people kind of tenants uh, have a tendency to go kind of into the far, uh, the fringe of the thought, which is basically total anarchy where there are no rules and there is no government and it's a free for all. Uh, but we have to also remember that that's not completely libertarianism. That is just maybe one aspect of libertarian principle, uh, at kind of a, a the, its own version of how they would run their own free society, and that one is anarcho, right? Um, no government, um, you know, people voluntarily um, living in societies on their own with however the rules are set up. However, there's varying degrees, right, of libertarianism. And anarchos are not the only libertarians out there, right? There's there's uh, many anarchists which believe that there's a limited small government. Um, and then, you know, there's the kind of the mainstream libertarian party that does believe that, you know, kind of the basic system of a federal, state, and local governments are, are needed and they need to kind of stay in their lanes and they need to make sure they don't overreach and they don't go over their boundaries. Uh, but we still need the government, you know, to go in there. So, you know, I jostle in between, you know, and uh, I, I try to, um, you know, be a little bit flexible and I try not to be too, um, you know, um, what's the word dogmatic on my approach i do try to listen about what is effective what's effective government um you know does it help is it worth it overall type of thing um you know does the good outweigh the bad does the bad outweigh the good is is somebody um somebody being disenfranchised by a government regulation and if so what are we doing about it type thing so Anyway, so I, I offer some flexibility and throttle when I need to. Um, but, you know, I think overall, I uh, personally like, um, you know, the third party. Um, I like where it's going. I like the slow growth that it's developing. Um, obviously, things don't happen overnight. But um, I think the the growth in third party options is steadily growing and i think it's kind of like an underdog uh, you know in, in, in full honesty it is an underdog but it's growing and um you know i think the last two or three times that i did vote third party you kind of see the population growth um i think the la the last time the last election of how was it 2016 um you know we had about four million people vote for libertarian for gary johnson um, and then I think before that it was like two or three million. So I think when you look at it in just the sheer numbers, not as an overall percentage, but if you look at the amount of people that are over time voting libertarian, voting third party, it's growing um, and it's growing in a steady rate. So I think at some point um, it's going to hit that um, threshold that it, you know, they that people will have to take it seriously. They can't pretend like it's it's not a big deal anymore. They're going to have to take it. Um, they have they're going to have to consider it a real threat. And if you look at elections, you know, like the last one between Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump, where you know there was a very really small margin of victory um, in the popular vote for Hillary Clinton, um, they're going to start looking at that and going, you know, if we had those libertarian votes we could have um, won the popular vote, right? Or we could have swayed the election. 
Um, and we have to, in you know, in instead of cratering to the idea that you know it was a wasted vote or we could have voted for one or the other and they could have won, um, we always have to come back and say you have to earn my vote. So what libertarian uh, principles are you going to adopt to get my vote? You know, um, and then all and then all truth, um, you know, for me personally, I would say, um, you know that you're not going to get my vote. Um, um, it's always going to be going to a third party and you're going to have to take a third party seriously. So anyways, but that's just me, but uh, a lot going on. So actually a couple of weeks ago, um, Rob and I actually recorded a podcast. Um, unfortunately my iPad, uh, is, is kind of going wackadoodle right now. So, um, it, it, it like basically, you know, restarted right in the middle of it. Rob actually did a backup recording, um, but for some reason we couldn't get it to download. So we had a great conversation about Donald Trump and um, his, uh, you know, acquittal or not guilty um, verdict um, of the impeachment trial. Um, And this was right before the Democratic debates, uh, before everything that's been going on this week. So um, hopefully we'll be able to release that um, at some point because we really, Rob and I, you know, we have some very much similar thinking, but also there's some um, um, divergent thinking on certain areas. Um, I think the one that we actually caught on right in the middle of conversation was the power that the president has on the economy versus the Federal Reserve. But uh, but then it actually taps into you know, the conversation that we're going to be having today about the coronavirus, because, um, you know, if you ever think the president has sway or power on the economy, just look at just look at what a small uh, medical um, viral scare can do. It can literally destroy four years of work in less than uh, a couple of weeks. If you think the president's work actually does uh you know, uh, alter the state of the economy. Um, but like I said, in my theory, you know, the, the president in, in, in the theory of, um, free economics as well, that the president really doesn't hold a lot of sway in the economy, maybe minor sway, you know, in terms of short term, um, you know, short term movement, but in terms of long term economy, there's just so much bigger things at play. Um, and you take the example of the coronavirus this week, um, just totally putting China's economy to a halt and then putting everything else to a halt. Um, you know, you wish Donald Trump wishes he had that much power um, to slow down the, uh, the trade flows. Uh, but coronavirus beat him. And we uh, clearly know that uh, things like this in the market have a much bigger impact than the president does um, you know, much more control, I would say. Um, obviously, um, there's always a ripple effect in what people do, but I think when it comes to actually intentionally, you know, uh, getting the market to go up or getting the market to go down or uh, controlling or letting, the, you know, moving the trade flows, you know, a government, uh, single person entity just doesn't have that much power. Uh, there's just too many variables, too many things going on to control it. And and like I said, you take the coronavirus as an example. You know, the president thought that that, that tariffs would work, um, that going pro-American business would work, 
and, you know, boost the American economy. And then lo and behold, here comes the coronavirus, uh, puts, you know, Chinese exports on a basically a halt. Um, and, you know, little do we know that we have, uh, well, little does the president know that we rely very much on, um, on Chinese exports as well as U.S. exports to China. Um, but without a trade flow, it's going to put our own economy in a halt. And ultimately, anything like this hurts the American, um, American worker and the American economy. And that, you know, things like um, trade wars tariffs, uh, bans, you know, uh, trade bans, everything like that. These things don't do anything more than just hurt ourselves, right? The only thing that um, actually has a positive effect for our own economy um, in the global market is obviously to promote more free trade, more global markets, more fair, not fair trades, more free trade, um, and allowing people to compete even if you think China is cheating, um, to us it's like it's like a baseball game, you know. <laughs> even if whether you knew or didn't know this other team was cheating, you still have to find a way, right? That's how business is, um, and um, you've got to find a way. Um, and the good thing about the free market and the open market is that you know uh, even if one country is cheating, you can have several other people. Um, work together or even fight yourself um, against these things. Because like I said, there's just so many variables to the economy that not one government can control um, control the market. You know, China hasn't been able to control the market. Um, the U.S. hasn't been able to control the market. U.S. government, and I would say the U.S. and Chinese government. Uh, but, you know, businesses by themselves have a small sway in the market. You look at Amazon, you look at any oil and gas company, um, you look at that, they have an, the ability to impact kind of like a small stream of it. But in terms of being able to control the entire thing, nobody can. And that's, you know, kind of the the hubris and the flaw of any central planning that um, that any government does in terms of the economy is that they're, they, the, the hubris is that they always assume that they're smarter than the entire global market. But in reality, you know, the global market is a bunch of multiple pieces um, working in their own self-interest, uh, sometimes in the interest of, of maybe, um, you know, a group, you know, their groupings they're, they're trying to worry about, or maybe you have some altruistic people that are looking at the whole market. So everybody has different motivations, I would say, more than... Uh, personal interest, but everybody has their own drives and the market works accordingly to that. So I think, you know, during the elections, you'll hear a lot about what's socialism, what's communism, um, what's, what do we have? Um, And I think, you know, the very clear split between the libertarians um, and, you know, uh, Republicans and Democrats and socialists and communists is that we understand that at the end of the day, this is all about state control over individuals, you know, um, and things like central planning, things like regulations, things like, um, you know, market, market controls, everything like that. This is all central planning, you know, um, and we know that central planning is, is a failure, right? You know, and it's really hard for, you know, just one person, even maybe even a table of 10 people 
to be able to predict the future is absolutely hard. And in fact, we know <laughs> through, you know, Freakonomics, through psychology, we know that people who try to predict the future are the worst. You know, like nobody, nobody's good at it. Everybody's bad at predicting the future. So for somebody, you know, to sit in, uh, you know, in a chair and say, I know how to control the market. It's like having a bad, you know, um, uh, having a bad uh, a psychic, you know, just you're not going to be able to predict the future. There's so many things going on, so many variables that you won't be able to account for everything. So um, I think it's better to let the market move the way it needs to. You know, corrections happen all the time. Let them correct. Let them rebound. Let the market take, you know, the weaker assets and reuse them, et cetera, that type of thing. Um, I think we know for sure when you look at uh, over time, you know, uh, federal interventions in the market to slow it down um, have always really just blown up in our faces. Um, and then, you know, a lot of times they don't work right. Like you take the the stock market crash of 2007, you know, based on real estate um, speculation and in the real estate bubble, um, you know, you have um, this idea that people are losing their houses. And you would think they would put in, um, in terms of altruism, you would think they would put in some measurements of safety for people buying houses to make sure that they can keep their houses or find some type of deal or some uh, some easement um, in in terms of payments or interest rates or something like that. But no, instead they decided to bail out <laughs> the large companies with all the bad assets, you know. So instead of dealing and helping the uh, regular citizen, they just turned around and helped the big companies, which, you know, we unfortunately saw all these companies, you know, give their um, employees large bonuses, clear off their debts, um, buy out other companies, like basically things that didn't really help the market. So the market recovery was was definitely really, really slow in 2007. It took quite a while for it to recover. Um, and, you know, I think the theory is that, you know, had it not intervened, had it allowed these businesses to uh, to fail, right? That was the big, uh, you know, phrase in the time was too big to fail. Um, unfortunately, these people who were perpetuating the too big to fail idea were people who had uh, were lining their own pockets with, um, you know, with money from these companies already that were saying you need to push for this because we need to survive. And um, I think the citizenry. Um, got the short end of the stick, you know, no, they didn't, you know, if anybody who lost their house or lost a job or whatever it is, or 401k, nobody got any help whatsoever, but these big companies totally did. And, uh, now they're, you know, um, they survived obviously because we gave them a ton of cash. Um, and even some, you look back right now, the, um, the huge, you know, hoopla with um, Wells Fargo, I think it was, who um, basically falsified all these accounts um, for sales quotas, etc. So it's just, you know, these these businesses were developing toxic environments, um, and they were being propped up, held up by government. You know, um, had these companies not been propped up 
by a government subsidy or whatever, what would have happened, right? They would have had to sell off their assets. They would have had to let people go, um, you know, um, and we would have had we would have faced the real pain of what was going on. However, if you think about how the economy works, somebody would have bought those assets, right? Somebody would have sweeped up all those people for other work, and they would have been kind of recycled um, through the economy. And you would have had a nice adjustment about what's a kind of what we consider a fake economy, what's, you know, a bubble versus what's a real economy. Um, and I think we're we're very closely about to head in that direction. Um, I think we have not learned the lesson. That's my drink, by the way. We have not learned our lesson of the economy. I think if you look at the federal interest rates and how low they've been, um, you know, a lot of people who are trying to save money. Um, a lot of people who have a 401k, etc. You don't really see much of a growth lately. Um, or if you're just trying to just just have a job, you know, you look at salary inflation is com- is way smaller compared to the natural inflation that occurs in the economy. So you have stagnation of wages. You have um, investment growths that are really slow. I like savings and 401k, which was kind of always a natural place for people to put money and save. You know, it was a financial um, literacy. It was a financial discipline to put money in your savings, put money in your retirement, you know, um, you know, buy an affordable house that you can pay off quickly. Like those responsible things, financial responsibility that have just completely gone out the window, right? We're kind of in this age of use your credit cards, um, don't save any money, throw it into your 401k, um, you know, things like that. Like if you want to buy some, you know, if you want to buy a sofa or a car, then put it on, uh, put it on a loan, etc. And uh, I think we just kind of developed this machine that um, is basically an inescapable way to get out of debt. Um, and we're kind of completely plugged into our federal government system that, uh, you know, we kind of all rely on. And not to say I'm perfect, right? I obviously have uh, plenty of loans. I have my own school loan, you know, and a house, a mortgage and everything like that. So there are certain things that you just can't escape that you have to buy into. Um, and you are very paranoid and aware of uh, the impacts it would, you know, that that would hit if you lost your job or your, you know, interest rate goes up or uh, taxes go up, et cetera, like that. You're very acutely aware of the sneezes that go on in the market. So, so it's really interesting time. And then, you know, right now, you, we are all facing the grips of the coronavirus. Um, and we see kind of that spread and you know i think it's a hard thing to look at that and decipher what's the difference between truth and reality you know the i think there's a a, a, rightfully so there's a healthy distrust of social media and, and mainstream media i would say in terms of how how what's this real severity of this situation because you know the news you know basically depends on you know their capability their ability to incite fear into you right and to say hey watch this this is an emergency happening right now you need to watch this um this is serious right um and it's hard to weed out when is it just 
you know, sensationalism and when it's just real. And I think when we look at the coronavirus, I think a lot of people have that half in, half out. Like, okay, this could be serious, but I don't know. I don't trust the media anymore. So is this real? Should I do something? Should I not? Um, and, you know, and that's really something that you have to decide for yourself. I think, unfortunately, when you go into kind of state control, when it comes to things like um, an illness or a, a virus that's spreading, um, I think the answer is always easy to say, well, government should tell us what to do. Um, you know, um, the government should take the action, et cetera, et cetera. And they do some. I think there's, um, you know, like I said, there's federal, state and local. Um, I think, you know, each each level should be you know, doing their own version of what they need to do, right? At the federal level, um, I think, you know, um, any, you know, any federal employee, any federal um, responsibility, um, you know, they should be taking their own precautions. Also, at the same time, at the state, uh, state level, um, you know, you have precautions at the state level, and you have precautions at the local level. But I think also most importantly is this, the precautions at the individual level, um, you know, things like cleaning your hands, um, you know, not going into work if you're feeling sick, um, you know, staying healthy, um, you know, um, making sure, checking up on your kids, making sure they're not getting sick and spreading things, um, staying away from certain things. I know right now there's a, um, you know, there's a caution to not travel to China and Singapore, things like that. So make sure we are abiding by those things. But at the same time, um, you know, if you are going to do those things, make sure to take some precautions as well. And obviously get yourself checked out by a doctor before and after to make sure you're not going to spread some type of disease coming there or back. Um, so there's, there's things at the individual level you can do that don't involve mass, you know, blocking of, of your travel. Um, there's always precautions you can take um, to be safe for yourself and for other people around you. So, But like I said, if anything shows you how much control a single individual has over the economy, just look at the coronavirus and look at you know how, how easy it was for the coronavirus to undo any, any changes that the president thinks he did by himself. Um, it, it's almost silly, right, to think that he thought he had it licked. Uh, and then lo and behold, coronavirus hits and the economy craters. However, if you think about all the stuff that libertarians talk about in terms of economy, in terms of uh, bubbles being created, you always know that, uh, you know, that the Federal Reserve, um, which is basically like, you know, uh, <laughs> a centrally controlled bank system, um, you know, you know, one of the things that we always try to look at is, you know, the interest rate on money that they loan out to other banks, money that they loan out to businesses, etc. And you see that they've had a very low interest rate for quite a while. Now, one of the only reasons that you would want to keep your interest rates low is to kind of push more people to, you know, loan out money to build things, to do things, etc., and if the economy was moving too fast, um, you know, you would want to raise interest rates to, you know, slow things down. Um, and you, I think 
you take that throttling with the Federal Reserve, central planning, that's what they try to do. Um, you can see that they are really trying to stave off a really um, soft economy with low interest rates. However, the downside of keeping your interest rates low during a soft economy is obviously people are going to make bad bets. Um, you're going to in, in, encourage people to make bad decisions because it's really cheap. Um, and also, you know, um, you have little things like the coronavirus um, that will take the entire thing that you thought you were going to do and put it to a grinding halt. So I think, you know, when it comes to the economy, I think the government is a little bit better um, off, you know, um, staying out of it, you know, honestly, in, in reality. I mean, maybe, you know, maybe there's a place for the government to become a little bit more as a referee in terms of you did this person wrong, right? Uh, company A did company B wrong, so we're going to settle it by doing X, Y, Z. Um, you know, that's the court system. Um, I think that's a, a great place to um, to argue rights versus rights, etc. So anyways, but I hope everybody's safe out there. Take your personal precautions. Listen to what your local officials are saying. Listen to the state officials. Listen to the federal officials. Listen to the news in general. I know it's going to be hard to weed out what is um, sensationalism versus what is reality. But I would say just listen. Um, listen to multiple sources. Take your time absorbing and reading through all these things. And obviously take precautions for yourself and uh, your loved ones. So just be careful out there. And then really quickly on the uh, on the local level, we have currently have um, a water, a boil water notice because we had a major pipe burst um, in the Houston area. So now the pretty much the entire metropolitan area is on a boil water notice until further notice. So, um, you know, so we're... <laughs> We were saying, man, we got the coronavirus around the corner. We've got a boil a boil notice uh, in the Houston area, and we have a very weak economy. That only spells out one thing: that I think things are going to things could escalate really quickly. So be on your toes out there, stay alert, and I think most importantly, look out for yourself. Um, look out for your loved ones, your family, your friends, your neighbors. Um, this is a perfect time for libertarianism. Um, as a principle to really shine, meaning we're not waiting for the government, we're not waiting for, you know, an authoritarian figure to tell us what to do, but we're stepping up ourselves and doing what we can. You know, the volunteerism um, in libertarianism. Help your help your family, help your neighbors, help your community, um, and there's nothing better that a libertarian can do other than that. But there's also, of course, the libertarian convention coming up, which I think we're going to be attending. So I'll probably do a couple of podcasts in terms of who are the candidates. I hear there's a lot of them. So obviously at the convention, they will be voting those in and, and you know voting who's going to be in and out. It'll be really interesting to meet whoever is coming. This will be my first Libertarian convention. So um, I've uh, donated to the Libertarian Party for quite a while. Uh, but um, now this is my first convention to actually engage. I do engage with the uh, local Libertarian um, community in the Houston area, like I attend happy hours every once in a while. So I am trying to get myself out a little bit more. Um, but for the most part, I've kind of been sticking to myself. 
classic libertarian, right? <laughs> but there's nothing wrong with the libertarian and getting engaged with their community. That's a very libertarian thing to do. So don't hesitate to reach out to people um, in your area. And maybe you have a local libertarian chapter of your own. If not, start one yourself, man. Start a podcast. Do something, you know. I think information um, is such a powerful tool and libertarians have a lot of it. And, you know, if you have information, if you have ideas, you know, spread them out there, share them with people, find a find a good positive way to get people's attention to listen and to listen to other people, right? Maybe some other people have good ideas. Maybe they're not libertarians, um, but maybe they have something worth saying. And I think it's um, the art of listening. I was, I was listening to with um, the local Houston Matters podcast, but that idea that, you know, we need to be better listeners. And I think me, even as a libertarian, even though I have something to say about politics, um, I also have to learn to listen um, as well and, and make sure that other people feel that they're contributing to a conversation, contributing to their to the people around them. So anyway, so uh, this weekend we've got the rodeo cook-off going on. we got the rodeo going on after that. Um, a lot of things going on, so I will try to shoot out as many podcasts as I can. But there's a lot of stuff going on out there. Um, we are getting into spring soon, so hopefully the weather is going to be warming up here real soon. Um, and there's a lot of stuff to enjoy. Hopefully I can attend some of these um, um, these festivals that are coming up. And if there's food or drink or anything like that, I will definitely be attending and hopefully sharing a podcast about it uh, coming up soon. So anyways, thanks for listening. Um, Again, be safe out there, and we'll see you next time.